0: Think Public Health is a podcast by students from the Loma Linda University School of Public Health, exploring the world from a public health perspective. Join us as we investigate issues in the media by talking to experts, students, and community members about the relevance of public health in everyday living. This is Think Public Health. Welcome back to another episode of Think Public Health. Welcome. Today I have in the studio with me my lovely co-host, Abigail. Hi, everyone. Say hello to the people. Anthony, how are you? Great to be here. Great to be here. Everyone's week is going well thus far?
1: Yes. It's over.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So far, so good. But, okay. So, lately I've been listening to the podcast. Our podcast. Our podcast. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. So, do y'all remember from Dr. Medina's episode when he was talking about the sitting disease?
1: Oh, yeah. He he had a, this interesting way to get people to exercise. Yes. I don't know if you remember, Anthony, mm-hmm. but he was talking it. about using the Wii to get children to exercise. And you know
0: what? Those extra games, it makes perfect sense as to why that would be implemented the way it is for mm-hmm. obesity. And I just think it's very interesting in this climate about obesity changes and epidemic within the United States, so...
1: And it is a public health problem. For sure. What are your thoughts,
2: Anthony? I think uh, for me, the main thing that he said that really stuck with me was the term active couch potato. Yes. Yes. You know, I think when you go to the gym, somebody like me, for example, I'll pick on myself. But, you know, I go to the gym almost every night. And I spent about an hour and a half there. And basically what he said was, that's not sufficient. If you spend the rest of the day sitting, sitting down, yeah. reading, you know, doing work on your computer, you are an active couch potato. So don't deceive yourself. So I think that was the main takeaway for me personally when it mm-hmm. comes to yeah. how I implemented it in my life, and what he talked about. I was like, "Ooh, an active couch potato!" That Did
0: you do some reevaluation. Yeah, I said <laughs> mercy, yourself?
2: you know. So that actually changed, you know. So I set my watch. I have a, you know one of these watches that, you know, take your Your heart rate and steps and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I have one of those watches, and every hour I have an alarm set to get up and to walk.
1: So his episode have made it to change. (laughs) It really did. No, (laughs) I've been thinking about my
0: workspace at home, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, I think I need to get one of those standing desks now that I've seen it and talked about it and this whole active couch potato lifestyle, I might
1: you're you're taking One it seriously so yeah. so definitely our hosts have taken it seriously right well, two to three <laughs> <laughs>
2: right.
1: but we do have a guest here at we today. do and,
2: and uh we have a guest who is an aficionado in this area tell um, us about him um, his real name quick. is dr peter bastion uh, we'll find out a lot about him but he is a professor here and he's also a physician at the as a preventative medicine physician, and he works at the Center for Health Promotion here at Loma Linda University. Uh, Welcome, Dr. Bastian, how are you doing? Good.
0: Hey there, welcome, welcome.
3: (laughs) Good, thanks guys. That's a great intro there. Um, (laughs) And I actually have some experience with Dr. Medina Mm-hmm. I took a class on uh, motivational interviewing and how to be a health coach. Oh, wow. And I remember him giving us a lot of opportunities to get up and stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, he's also an avid pickleball. I think yes, uh, player. He so, did mention that
1: in his episode. Yeah, yep. I
3: don't know if he's aware of it, but he has been ducking some of my offers for a match. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh oh. It's it's on an you know an app that I don't think he has, so maybe that's why. <laughs>
2: right, right.
0: But
3: you know, so yeah, he's so,
0: serious about the pickleball.
3: Yeah, yeah exercise is so important, mm-hmm. um, especially at work.
2: And, and you see, I'm sure, with your patients, uh, you see a lot of um, problems with obesity and excess. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah.
3: Yeah, even in, on a campus such as Loma Linda, we're not immune to the obesity epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still having two thirds of the population are overweight, and we're mm-hmm. seeing an increasing amount of uh, obesity, which would be a BMI of greater than 30. Um, and it's not just the students, but it's, it's our, our colleagues. It's the people we work with, we study with, we play with. Um, at the Center for Health Promotion, we, we have what we call a metabolic obesity clinic. And at that clinic, we will take people uh, in at, for their initial visit. We'll do some biometric measurements at our human performance lab. And then we have some really great interventions that we'll use, whether they're lifestyle, pharmaceutically assisted, Um, or other and then we'll follow them and then we'll do measurements again at three months six months uh, and we've had some really great results with helping people fight uh, this chronic disease because it really is a disease forever uh, if we don't keep up on it it can keep coming back Uh, so So it's a passion of mine
0: dr pete is one question what would you say are some of the major things or factors that influence Um, Weight loss long term and short term. What Mm. would you say from your experiences?
3: That's a great question. It definitely comes down to uh, Five I would say pillars of weight loss Um, The first and probably the most important is nutrition So what are we giving the the machine for its fuel? Mm -hmm. Are we giving it excess fuel? Are we giving it the purest fuel? Uh, Are we giving it something that the engine can turn into energy or is it going to be something that's going to be more likely to go into storage, such as adipose tissue? So what foods we eat and we we focus uh, here at Loma Linda and at the Center for Health Promotion on whole food, plant-based, things that you can pull from a tree or pull out of the ground, things that aren't processed, don't have a long ingredient list. So that's the first one. The second is like what Dr. Medina had talked about and I'm very passionate about, as well as exercise. Um, as you guys know, I'm going to be giving a talk in October on um, exercise for the Living Whole series uh, called Exercising on Empty. Yeah. And basically the premise of that is that a lot of times, right, we're tired. Uh, you guys are PhD students. Um, you're, you're always busy. You're doing research when do we find time to not be sedentary? And it just gets worse when you get into the work world, <laughs> right. right, when Will you, you become it? a full professor or postdoc and you're you're going to be uh, you know, mentoring other students and they're going to be calling on you at all times of the day. So how do you fit it in? And so we're trying to figure out how do you exercise at any time of the day. Uh, we're at the Center for Health Promotion. And so we've just made it real laissez-faire when in between patients uh, or blood draws for my nursing colleagues or for the front staff, um, we'll just stand up and do some squats. Uh, and we'll talk and just say, how's it going? We'll maybe do 10, 15 squats. And we just go about our business. And then I may bump into somebody else and say, hey, you know, do you want to do some squats? Mm-hmm. And you know, we'll do some more. So for example, just the other day, we actually had a competition. And not everybody likes to do that, but, mm-hmm. but we did do a competition where everyone put in about $5. Um, not everyone, but a few people did. And uh, whoever had the most squats at the end of the day uh, got the pot. <laughs> oh. And so <laughs> what was the high number? Well I'll tell you I had 250 <laughs> oh, wow, squats and I, and I also will do squats with my patients mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, that's I'll tell them I'll say listen if, if, if it wasn't for you guys doing squats for me I would pro- with me I would probably be 30 40 pounds heavier so it really helps keep me in shape mm-hmm. but anyways despite everything that I, I was trying to do to win this so I had about 250. Um, my good friend, Sergio Ortiz, who's a, a cardiophysiologist, uh, he had about 800. <laughs> oh, wow. my goodness. So, and he was telling me at the end he was, felt kind of nauseous. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of looked at him. I felt kind right. of nauseous. I was thinking of Yeah. I was were like, attacked. where did he find the time to do that? And right. we decided that we'll have to share the, the pot in the future right. with a partial prize for second and third place. And right. And uh, but yeah, so exercise is is very important as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But not only uh, at the gym, but at work and also at home. Third factor uh, is uh, emotional health. So how are you doing? How stressed out will determine uh, many of the weight loss uh, hormones or or hormones that cause weight gain, uh, such as cortisol when we're we're, uh, stressed out. Cortisol tends to go up. It tends to influence the amount of uh, adipose tissue uh, that we keep on our bodies. It also seems to increase our hunger, uh, the more stressed out we are. And a lot of that depends on some of our genetics as well. Um, but there's a strong, um, you all know, right? There's a yeah. strong connection between stress and comfort food. And we that does not that didn't come up out of nowhere. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that's been biologically kind of imprinted in us. Um, so... <laughs> yes. I'm... Can I hear an amen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amen.
2: Amen. <laughs> quiet.
1: Well, I uh-huh. mean, it's something I always, because I'm a dietitian, and I always joke about and say when it comes to comfort food, nobody eats broccoli, you know? They're not like, I'm stressed! I need to eat broccoli. You know, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. always go for a cheesecake or, you know, ice cream or something like that. Mm. So, yeah. That's
3: right. That's right. Yeah, so... um, and uh, so, in other so we talked about see nutrition, exercise, emotional health, uh, sleep mm-hmm. is really big.
2: It's an underrated one. Yeah. yeah,
3: I can't tell you how many patients I'll see that um, they're surprised when I ask them if they snore, and a lot of times reluctantly they'll be like, yeah. Or they'll say, I don't know if I snore. Uh, Or they'll say, no, and and no, but they don't sleep with anybody. And I'll say, well, how do you know you don't snore? And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. So I'll give them a snoring app. It's a free app. They can see if they snore, and then they can get back to me. But those who do know that they snore, uh, and if they're suffering from excess weight, from unhealthy weight, uh, and they're having fatigue or headaches in the morning or falling asleep real easily, um, or having trouble just losing weight. Uh, not getting enough sleep can be a major factor. You know, because if you're tired in the morning, uh, you haven't gotten a good night's sleep. You're tossing and turning because you're constantly waking up uh, because you're you're pausing in your breathing all night long. You're not going to have the same motivation uh, to meet the goals, those smart goals that you set the night before. Uh, it just makes it so much easier to fall back into the the trap of of old habits uh, and comfort foods. Mm-hmm. Uh, And it also, and if we look at biologically, uh, when we don't get a good night's sleep, our hunger hormones tend to go up, uh, one of which is called ghrelin. And finally, here at Loma Linda, and I think this is what makes us um, so uniquely positioned to help with weight loss and just to be healthy in general. um, And and this is also, we, we look at ourselves as a spiritual nation. Uh, is our spirituality and our unabashedness to address it and to ask people if they want to pray or if they want that to be a part of their health journey. Mm -hmm. And so that has really helped a lot of people, uh, both colleagues and patients, uh, become a lot healthier because it's such a crucial part um, that motivates um, more Americans than it doesn't. We're not an atheist nation, we are a nation of faith.
2: It's a, it's a complete process. You, you, you mentioned earlier that there are different interventions that go on at the Center for Health Promotion, some more successful than others. What would you say, in your experience, has been some of the most successful interventions?
3: I really like to, first of all, take a good history and just find out what is the weight loss history been since childhood. Right. And so they need to feel like they've been heard and they need to know, because most people have tried to lose weight and they have been successful. And anyone can bare knuckle it for six to nine months <laughs> and lose weight, but the thing is, right, we all put it back on. Yes. Yeah. And, and so we all, but we always go into the next time thinking, geez, um, I could do this again, or we're, we feel helpless. So trying to gauge where the patient is is very important. Do they feel like, yeah, I can do this again? They want to try it the same way they did before, or they realize that that method doesn't work. It leads to yo-yo dieting, and they're open to hearing about some more consistent ways. And I can get into that, ways that that help keep the weight off um, from once they've lost it. Yeah. Yeah, that
0: was my next question to you. the most effective strategies for short term and long term like you're talking about yo-yo dieting yes yeah. yeah, temporary success but long term how does that play out in a person's life
3: yeah i think if, if i could say um two words it would be body composition so a lot of people will um, lose a lot of weight at the initial uh, right out of the gate Um, But they're not being physically active. They're not doing, most importantly, resistance training. And so what happens is they lose about 25 to 30% of every, um, of the weight they lose is actually muscle. So if we could say for every four pounds of fat they lose, they're losing a pound of muscle. And so they get down to their goal weight, but they're a lot less metabolically active. Mm. And so, what happens now? The same diet and nutrition that allowed you to get down to that goal weight is an excess of calories. And so often, I'll have people who say, "Geez, I don't—I hardly eat anything." And they're often—they're right. They're telling the truth. And then I'll do—I'll look. Well, let's say, let's let's take a look at your body composition, and I'll look at their body percent fat. And some of my patients are greater than 50% fat. And so they're not very metabolically active. Even the little bit of food that they may put in is, is not being burned off. Right, right. So, okay. so looking at body composition, bring that awareness of physical activity uh, as a, a way to keep the, the weight that they are l- losing, to keep it off for the long term. Often, sometimes, it can make it a little less, um, a slower velocity of weight loss, because they're keeping on the muscle. Um but I'll temper that with saying you're doing great, look at your body composition. That's the whole reason why we lose weight to begin with mm-hmm. is because of all the metabolic factors that weight gain causes. And so that we always bring it back to the chronic diseases that are caused by excess weight.
0: Mm-hmm. So you we do say that numbers, knowing your numbers, play a major factor in the weight loss journey for an individual long term.
3: Absolutely. Know where they're starting off with um, you know, knowing what's worked before and knowing what they, they want to do. And sometimes you just have to be patient and, and let them do what they want to do first. Mm-hmm. Um, and be the support. Be, be the person to gently offer suggestions if they're open and to present the data over time. Mm-hmm. And then you hope that they will come to their conclusions. You know, if Dr. Medina taught me something. It's that you want it the, the plan to come from the patient. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, Because in today's internet technology, anyone can kind of find out what to do. But navigating uh, all of that information in a way that's respectful to the patient's journey is what we need to do.
2: When you talk about knowing your numbers, a lot of, um, there's kind of a controversy over the body mass index nowadays. And a lot of a lot of times when you're dealing with patients, they say, Hey, look, I heard that the body mass index is not relevant anymore. And what are your thoughts on BMI? And yeah, well,
3: I, I think definitely there are people such as yourself, Anthony, and I know this is not a video <laughs> show, but Anthony is quite the muscular beast here. Uh, <laughs> and we, we actually ran into each other at the gym the other night. Right, right. Uh, I had to actually walk sideways so that he could, he could fit <laughs> through fit the, 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 the door. wall. <laughs> yeah. The girth, the girth of the muscular tooth. So, no, they, I think in some ways it's it doesn't show the, the body composition. Mm-hmm. So BMI you know, it's just um, height over, uh, over weight, weight over uh, squared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's, it's not that useful if you have, um, you know, if you're a guy, we say you want between 10 and 20% percent body percent fat. Well, if you're closer to the 10% and your BMI is 27, well, I'm going to say that 27 is probably mostly all muscle. Mm. And I'm not going to be saying you really need to worry about lowering that BMI down below 25. On the other hand, there have been lots of talk about how BMI may be racist. You've mm. heard that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah. you know, does the same BMI 25 apply to Pacific Islanders? Maybe mm-hmm. the BMI, there's been suggestions that it should be 27, normal for them reverse that for Asians, uh, thinking that a normal BMI may be closer to 22 or 23. Um, So yeah, it's not, and I don't think so much about BMI uh, as a one-time measurement, Mm -hmm. but if it is combined with an unhealthy body composition, it can be helpful if we look at things like, you know, if we look at other uh, diseases like nicotine, we look at pack years, how many years have you smoked? Uh, when I talk with my patients, I'll ask them, you know, how many years have you had this BMI? So looking at like BMI years? Mm-hmm. Um, ha- yes, you may have lost weight, but how many times have you regained it? And if we add up all the years that you've had a BMI that's unhealthy, we can then start to stratify you into certain risk factors for for chronic disease.
1: So what I understand you're saying BMI is like a screening tool, but not necessarily a diagnostic tool.
3: Yeah. I think yeah. I think it helps it helps to screen. I mean it can help diagnose mm-hmm. um, but when it gets close to the it's it's a popula- it's based on population data but um, you know between the there's always the tail ends right we've got the yeah. nice little bell curve mm-hmm. um, but we often need to treat and the ones that need our help the most are the ones at the at the tails
2: awesome. So you have a um, talk coming up, Wellness Live, uh, it's called Exercising on Empty. It's an interesting title, but can you tell us a little bit more, just give us more of a you know, preview of what mm. to expect and what is it to exercise on empty? Mm.
3: Yeah, well, actually, I, I, it's still, to be honest, it's it's in development. Mm-hmm. I, I knew I wanted to try to come up with a title that I would hope get people's attention. <laughs> right.
2: right.
0: Um, you got my attention. I'm mine too. Unfortunately.
3: But I'm hoping in some of the things that I've been currently, I can share with you some of the current reflections, um, is that that I want to address why we think that... Uh, we have to be in this optimal state before we can exercise, that everything else in our life has to be full, ah. perfect, um, emotionally well, successful, um, you know, ate, have eaten a meal exactly 60 minutes before, mm-hmm. uh, you know, got a great night's sleep, uh, don't have a, you know, s- uh, are a good 10 days away from the last cold. about the work, <laughs> <laughs> everything. Right, Yeah, I know exactly. The, the really, you really it's just we were meant, we, we have been built uh, to be active, especially when we're on empty, especially mm-hmm. if you look back in history during the famines, during the fasts, the wars, the cold winters. Our bodies were meant to be active while we were fasting, while we were on empty, while energy levels were feeding off of stores. Wow. Versus being primed uh, to, the, to the brim with some, you know, with the most nutritious meal uh, you can imagine. So w- we can rely more on ourselves to, and actually studies show that if once you start exercising, and you guys probably know this, uh, and y- we're welcome to do some squats during this interview. <laughs> <your>
1: <laughs> okay. Because uh, frankly, my
3: sciatica is starting to run down the leg here. But f- they'll show, they one study showed that truckers, long term truckers, that those who, during their five minute truck stop bathroom mm-hmm. breaks, who did some exercise, they actually had less accidents, less falling asleep at the wheel, um, and healthier biometrics than those who, who did not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just doing, we can activate the body um, mm-hmm. while it's on empty. It's not the simple formula like an empty gas tank, you need to put the gas in. Mm-hmm. We actually put the gas in by cranking the motor first.
2: Interesting. Want to take a so squat break? Yeah, <laughs> cool. let's take a squat break. Right. How many are we going to do? All right. Audience, we're taking a squat break. Oh, you
1: can join us. Literally. Literally.
2: Right. I usually get really out of breath with these. And oh
0: now is there a proper way to stand for the squat to be effective
3: I've been told that you really want to lean on your heels just to make sure you're keeping your knees off of oh starting to have trouble breathing here Uh (laughs) to keep your knees to keep your knees you guys feeling the burn to keep
2: following you now feeling (laughs) the burn feeling the
3: burn you want to keep your knees uh, from Surpassing your toes, and obviously you want to keep your back as straight as possible. And I'll tell people to, you know, not just flex the the easy (laughs) muscle that gets you up, (laughs) but but try to flex the calves, try to flex the hamstrings, the glutes, try to use the muscles, all of them, to bring them up. And then sometimes we'll put our hands up, and we'll do a couple uppercuts. And I think I've just,
1: <laughs>
2: ladies and gentlemen, for le- the first le- time in think public health history, we, we just practice
1: public health, <laughs> just, uh, practicing what we <laughs> preach, guys. Squat
2: break. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> that Salmon
3: lactic acid <laughs> overload here.
2: So you have an interesting background. You have a public health. You're a public health advanced practitioner, and you're also a physician. What? How, how have you seen that intersection uh, take place in your practice and what could public health do better? Like who, what's, how's that intersection between public health and um, medicine?
3: Well, I, I'm very proud of what we do at the Center for Health Promotion, and I'm still out of breath, <laughs> <laughs> is that we do a lot of research uh, because we realize that, Although um, public health is, is, is so important, um, we also pay attention to what the individual patient, uh, their needs are. But when we're looking at bringing up new protocols and new ways to, with novel treatments for obesity, the only way to do that is through research. And I think public health really comes in handy there because. You learn the skills, uh, especially at Loma Linda, uh, to do some of the data collection, the statistical analysis. Uh, and you really gain an appreciation uh, to look at the current peer-reviewed uh, research uh, that's out there in the field. So.
2: Take a swig of water. Take a swig of water. This is
3: always a great moment for laughter with my patients because (laughs) I'll just like be giving them advice, and we'll be wrapping up the the interview, and then I'll just kind of have to stop and like sigh, and they just start (laughs) laughing at me.
2: Right, right. But no, that's a good point that you make. So it adds the kind of research and the peer reviewed. information behind what you're actually teaching on obesity or you know, yeah. those different.
3: And also just realizing what's going on um, outside of the bubble of Loma Linda. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we live in a very privileged place, um, but we're also in one of the poorest uh, counties um, in the United States, San Bernardino. And so that's, in, in a lot of ways, that county has given a lot to us as an ability to train, um, but we, when we think of mission work and serving the less fortunate um, population medicine, we have all of the field experience um, right next door. So it's a real blessing um, that we have uh, the people that, that need us the most, uh, they're not off in far distant places. Uh, They're right next door.
2: Another physician that we interviewed, Dr. Chinnock, mentioned several. He mentioned that there are silos that occur with public health and medicine. Is that something that you've noticed, or what are your thoughts on that?
3: I think it it can possibly get easy to be easy to fall into silos, but when I when I see people who are uh, in public health that's sort of the the uniting factor and it's not whether are you public health physician are you a public health nurse are you uh, epidemiologist um you know are you in media it's just you're interested in public health okay so how can i bring my talents Mm -hmm. to the table and how can i incorporate your talents or how can you use mine how may how maybe i can take a subservient role to a project you have um, or maybe you might bite on to an idea that I have. Um, so I do think it's it's a very interdisciplinary um, field, and it it takes people who are willing to mix it up um, with people from different disciplines and and are are ready to learn uh, to continually learn um, as we're we're looking at the complex uh, public health uh, chronic disease, which is. Um, much more complex, I think, than the infectious disease that, that we've almost uh, controlled, mm-hmm. uh, that, that was sort of the original reason why public health institutions came around. But now that we have these chronic health diseases, we really have to work together as a team. Um, but yeah, there is, there is a fair amount of, of, of that silo. Um, and I just think people don't have time, they, don't, they just don't know, there's not good resources to, to see what other people are doing.
1: Mm. Awesome So um, what are some other Because we're dealing with our audience And what are some other things that persons can do In terms of getting in more exercise Because you stress um, Eating whole food plant based But what are some other things That persons can do besides squats That you can recommend um, to our audience Or the person who's listening out there
3: Mm, To be more physically (laughs) active
1: To be more physically active Yeah
3: Um yeah, it doesn't have to be squats. It can be whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. It could be just taking a walk, like I've seen um, people do uh, at, at Loma Linda. They'll, they'll take breaks. Uh, like Anthony was saying, he has his alarm that goes off. Um, it could be like what they do at the Living Hole, uh, where they have the deck exercise. Mm-hmm. and people will exercise at their desk and nobody really knows what's going on, but, but you do. Your, yeah. your calves are burning or <laughs> right, right, right. you're doing some type of hand grip.
2: Active standing, yeah. they call it.
3: Or yeah. you're tightening your abs or your glutes and, uh, in your chair. So even those little things can, can well, really help. Yeah. <laughs> I often tell a lot of uh, patients who say, you know, I, I just I've, I've got this injury. Or, you know, I'm too old. Or, I'm just way out of condition. I can't do that. Squats, what are you talking about? My knee, I I had a total knee replacement. And so I'll take out um, some resistance bands. And I'll have all the different colors from the easiest ones, the green ones, to the most difficult, usually the red ones. And I'll just demonstrate some exercises they can do that aren't necessarily weight bearing, Mm -hmm. um, that are easier on the joints. And then just offer. Offering them, if, if it's within their budget or their time, OK, well, how about water aerobics? Or how about we, we integrate a little bit of your physical activity with some medical massage? Um, you know, How can I help with pain management as you are more physically active? What can we do that are both lifestyle uh, ways to treat pain, such as having more turmeric, more ginger, using natural methods like capsaicin, Menthol creams or things like ibuprofen or Tylenol, mm-hmm. and just try to find the the compromise uh, for each person. So it's it's kind of person dependent, uh, but there's a way for all of us to be um, physically active.
2: Wow, wow, that was great. A lot of food for thought. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. So. You, a fun fact about you is that you are fluent in Spanish. Si, sí, senor. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about, first thing, how you learned Spanish and how that experience has um, colored your experience within medicine, mm. with your patients?
3: Claro que si. Sí. <laughs>
2: <laughs> que bueno. Uh-huh.
3: Well, I I always, um, you know, my wife is uh, from Ecuador, and uh, she speaks Spanish, and that was the the language of our love. Mm -hmm. But I learned Spanish going back a lot further uh, back in my childhood in sixth grade. I don't know, I just always took a liking to it when they taught it in school and kept it up through college. And then um, our first foreign um, immersion program in Spain back in 1999 i remember i thought i knew spanish but i had never lived abroad and when i met my host family um, they started speaking in that language that i was that i had learned <laughs> and i felt like i was deaf dumb and mute for a good month <laughs> and then when i finally started to be able to talk somewhat i never wanted to let that go mm. it felt so special being able to talk in another language i never let it go and i just kept Practicing it over the years. I joined a, a Spanish affinity house at Dartmouth College Where we would just speak Spanish when we got home from classes and then when I graduated from Dartmouth I went on a volunteer trip um, Where I worked for the Costa Rican Humanitarian Foundation uh, short, just two weeks after September 11 2001 wow. and I was there for a year and I worked on my Spanish um, and just never knew um, and then I met my wife um, I- as I continued that pursuit, combining with medical Spanish. Uh, when I was in medical school, mm-hmm. I met my future wife in 2009. She was the uh, the general manager of a of a uh, sp- man- medical Spanish institute called Cachampsi in Riobamba, Ecuador, and um, just knew that she was the one uh, for me. And uh, we. So we ended up uh, dating over Skype for uh, for many months and and then she, uh uh, she came and visited my family here, and I uh, visited her family, all her ten brothers and sisters. Oh, and, her,
1: no. and her, my
3: goodness. Uh, you know. I remember when I, when I first went there, and, and all ten of them were kind of interviewing me and
2: <laughs>
1: were
3: making sure. They're like, yeah, you can speak Spanish, but uh, do you, will you respect our culture? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so I really had to let them know that that was another thing that I wanted to be fluent in was, mm-hmm. was the culture. Now it's mm-hmm. a big thing. But then my wife emigrated here uh, in 2014 um, and as her English has become a lot better because she came here without speaking a lick of English. Really? Yeah. Because she, I
2: spoke with her, she's, yeah, she's, she, her English is really good. Thank though. you.
3: She has come a long ways there's been a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> with, with the English. Um, she's gone to San Bernardino Valley College. Uh, she went to uh, CPC over at like their ESL program ESL or? online, um, just over at San Bernardino, San Bernardino Cal State. Uh, lots of practice. And so now it's probably about 50 50 we'll speak English to Spanish. And so my Spanish has kind of taken a little bit of a hit. <laughs> um, but thankfully so, because her English. Um, is, uh, is becoming quite exquisite and, and, and justly so because she has taken on a leadership role, my wife, at the, the new collaboration between the Huerta de Valle, uh, which is a community garden in Ontario, and Loma Linda's new uh, community garden at the Sacks Norton Clinic. Wow. So she needs to, not just only her Spanish, but she needs to have uh, good English. But yeah, that, but that's sort of the, the long route to uh, my Spanish and I'm always finding ways to try to keep it up.
2: And with your patients, have you seen that? How has that impacted your experience with your patients? I'm sure there have been some shocked faces when, <laughs> when you start speaking Spanish.
3: Yeah, usually it's the secretaries because they're always bilingual. Right. And so they're always looking at me and saying, wow, I didn't know Dr. <laughs> Bashan spoke Spanish, uh, but I heard him behind the door <laughs> with this Spanish-speaking patient. I, I didn't know how he was going to handle that patient. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a challenge, uh, and like I said, I'm always trying to improve my Spanish, and I think how I've got to the fluency that I have is, is by taking risks with my Spanish. You know, I'll, I'll ask, you know, how do you say this, or, you know, I'll just try my best and tell, ask people to correct me, and I think that's sort of a, a good uh, mode of learning for no matter what we're in. But that's what's kept me successful with keeping up on the Spanish these years and, and why I love it and enjoy speaking it.
1: Mm. Awesome, inspiring. Mm, yeah so do you have any takeaway things that you want to leave with the audience anything that we would not have mentioned in this podcast? Hmm. piece of advice for our listeners.
3: How much time do we have left?
0: <laughs> Go ahead take your
2: time
3: <laughs> Well because I, I wanted I just was I know we had talked about nutrition
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I, I know we talked about sort of some unique ways to stay um, to kind of... Simplify it for exercise and I just wanted to offer a little advice about simplifying it for nutrition as well Mm -hmm. Um, And you know you're a registered dietitian Mm -hmm. Um, I tell people that we often lack um, Fiber and that if we only got more fiber things would be a lot more healthy And I tell them, if there was one vitamin they forgot to mention, it was vitamin F. (laughs) And we really need to be focused on that and not so much, uh, am I getting enough calcium, am I getting enough iron? I mean, that's all important. Um, But really, our digestive system, including uh, our success at losing weight, depends on how much fiber we get down to that trillion, we have about 10 trillion bacteria in our gut, Mm -hmm. compared to only one trillion of the animal cells in our body. And it's either a symbiotic relationship, or it's a real war zone. Mm -hmm. And for most of us who are not getting enough fiber, it's a war zone, and we're basically starving our gut bacteria. And as they're starving, and they're in a stressed out mode, they send their hormones, their signals, their neurotransmitters, yes, believe it. Um, That we are in an inflammatory state, that we are not healthy, and that we should eat and eat more. And that it really supports and um, encourages the excess consumption of calories when we're not properly feeding uh, our own gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. So that was one thing I just wanted to say about that. That night, I might have a joke.
0: Oh sure! Okay. Another first on
2: (laughs) in podcasts. Think public health issues. So so
3: okay. So this would be interesting. So we talked about you know people working in silos Mm -hmm. and the different um, people who go into public health. uh, Right. um, So say you you live in in a place like Loma Linda and and you're single um, and you live next door to a guy or gal um, that you're really interested in. But unfortunately, um, that guy or gal is is already dating a doctor, and that doctor comes over every day with this wonderful big bunch of flowers, and just you know, money's not an option. Uh, it's not. It's there's no limit, and and you just don't know what to do. And so you're 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 asking people, what do I do? How do I woo this person away from this doctor? How can I c- compete? Um and so you ask somebody some wise old man I suppose in this <laughs> or woman in this uh, situation and do you know what they say?
2: What do
3: they say? <laughs> they say to to give that guy or gal that you're interested in uh, apples.
1: Why is that? <laughs> oh, apple in case the doctor. Ladies and gentlemen, the mic has dropped. But <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> Okay. <laughs> thank so, you, thank you,
1: thank you! <laughs> thank you so very much. Dr. to You're welcome. In, um, this was part fun. Of this podcast. Um, we need to have you back Absolutely. to at least talk about a little bit more about the gut microbiome. Because, Absolutely, I would love to come back. Um, I also want to put a plug here for Loma Linda, the Department of Well, the PhD Nutrition Program at Loma Linda University. They're actually offering a course called Gut Microbiome, and it's the first time oh. they've offered it. Oh. so yeah so it's definitely a new and hot area so we definitely have you back so thank you again Um, this has been another episode of think public health join us next time and if you have any questions queries or comments feel free to email us at thinkpublichealth at llu.edu that is thinkpublichealth at llu.edu from my host and our guest have a wonderful afternoon